You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. So, good afternoon and welcome. Today we're going to be talking about Shavuos, as this week is coming up as Shavuos. So that, in fact, the Torah reading this week, we're not going to be reading from the uh, regular Torah reading. We read about Shavuos, because since Shavuos comes out on Shabbos. So that's the... Um, that's the why also as well we'll be talking about Shavuos. So there was this disgruntled fellow by the name Ilan. Everything in life was a problem. Everything he touched was an issue. Every person was a, was a difficulty. He couldn't find peace in anything he did. He would wake up in the morning, he would yell at this one, go to work. Yeah, the boss was no good. The people that were co-workers were no good. Every single person that he got into encounter with, he had trouble with. He felt like his whole life he was sitting in traffic, if you want to talk about it. And he came home, he was yelling at this person, yelling at that person, couldn't get along with his family, couldn't get along with his children, couldn't get along with his wife, couldn't get along with his boss. Everybody was a problem. Till one day, he has terrible stomach pains. He's rushed to the hospital, and as he's lying in the hospital a moment before the doctor comes in to give him the anesthetic for whatever the surgery is, he hears the doctor, he's like in a little bit of a... Hayes, and he hears the doctor saying, talking to the nurse, this guy is in a very, very, very critical position, very critical state. He probably only has a month to live. He only has a month to survive. As he's falling asleep, he then he wakes up and goes through the surgery. He wakes up from the surgery. He remembers what the doctor said just a few moments ago, right before he was put out, you know, before the surgery. And he wants to close his eyes and say, okay, let me just go back to where I was. Let me just finish with this all. Life is just a mess. But then as he looks up and he sees his wife and children standing at the side, he makes at that moment a resolution and he says, you know what, I got one month left to live. I'm going to make this the best month of my life. He wakes up in the morning the next day and he's all energetic, he's all positive. He welcomes everybody, he talks, he has a big smile on his face. He says good morning to his wife, good morning to his children. He runs to take them to school. He's making them breakfast, he walks into his work, he's smiling, he's happy, he's enchanted. And he all of a sudden, the kids come home from school, he's doing their homework with them, he's taking them for a walk. He became a completely new person. And he's counting down the days of until when, you know, they said a month left. Three weeks go by. Three and a half weeks go by. He has a few weeks left of what he's going to be doing. And he continues and he says, listen. And he starts talking and he starts writing notes to his children. His older children, he left a big donation to the synagogue. He left this inheritance for this. And, he left, and he's leaving all, he's getting himself all prepared. And his last moments, he's telling to himself, even when he gets angry, he says, why should he feel angry and disgruntled? I have a few more minutes of life to live. I'm not going to let it go to waste and being angry. And the month is over, and he doesn't die. He wakes up in the morning. He's touching himself. He's pinching himself. He's still around. What happened? The doctor said he has a month left to survive. He's still going. He goes into the doctor. He has a meeting with the doctor. And he asks the doctor, what's going on? You told me I'm in a critical situation. I only have a month left to live. A month passed, I'm doing fine. The doctor looks at him, what? You? Critical situation? 
You had a kidney stone you had to pass. That's all. What kind of critical situation? He says, didn't I hear you say that this guy is in a critical situation? He only has a month to survive. He says, you were listening in to what was going on in the emergency room in the bed next door to you. I was not talking to you at all. That guy already is not alive. Ilan suddenly realized the difference between people, the greatness of people who recognize that every moment of life is important, to people who think, ah, there's still plenty of time. I won't do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. It'll be the next day. It'll be a day from now. People who don't realize that every moment in life is only once. You never get that moment again. And those are the people who value life and value the importance of life and make every single moment useful and purposeful. This is the message that we're going to talk about today. And one of the famous questions that people say, you know, one of the most common phrases you'll find you're saying, okay, what do I do now? Okay, what do I do now? You finish cleaning, you finish preparing, whatever it is, and you go, what do I do now? What do you mean, what do you do now? What does it mean, what do I do now? Am I supposed to? What do you want me to do now? Do you want me to jump? Do you want me to dance? Do you want me to go? What do you mean, what do I do now? You don't know what you have to do now. We know that it's not, the question is not, what do I do now? Should I dedicate myself for a year to go study in Israel? Or should I go out to get a new job or get a new education? We're talking about what do I do now is about the small fleeting moments in life. Those few minutes of what I'm doing that sometimes gets, disappears very quickly. While you're waiting between station and station, while the train to arrive at your destination, or whether you're sitting in traffic, and you have those few moments and those few minutes, and the question is, what do I do now? What am I going to use these few moments in life? How am I going to make these few minutes the most purposeful minutes I can? Right before we're standing in front of the festival of Shavuos, the time when God gave us the Torah, the, God, the time when God chose us from all the nations of the world, from all languages of the world, from all people of the world, and made us the eternal nation of Israel, the eternal bond and connection that God had with the Jewish people and has with the Jewish people. It is at this time that we have to reconsider and re take a moment to think, what are we doing? How are we utilizing every moment? We've studied Torah. There are people that went through the Talmud. People who go through Maimonides. People of different sections and circles of study that go through different cycles of studying different parts of the Torah. But each one of them is important. Each one of them teaches something important. Famous anecdote given about a fellow who his father had this busy department store. And people would come and go and never had a moment to rest. His father retires and gives the store over to the son. And the son working in the store, yeah, one customer comes in a, every hour, and it's very slow. Business is not as exciting as it used to be. He goes to his local rabbi and he asks the rabbi, what is it? My father at the store was hustling and bustling. I come in every, every half hour, maybe a customer comes in to nudge a little bit. What's this? What's that? And then they go buy it down the block. What's going on? What's the difference? What happened? The community is still the same. People still need the same product. What's going on? So he tells, he said, the rabbi asks him, let me ask you a question. What did your father do when it was quiet in the store? He says, when it was quiet in the store, he barely found a moment. Whenever there was quiet, he had a mishnayis, he had a chumash, he had a pruk that he would sit, 
And in the moment he had peace from any customers, he would take it out and sit and learn something. He had no other time during the day because the store was so busy. He says, let me ask you, and what do you do when there are no customers? Ah, what do I do? I thank God have a phone. And I can see the latest news, the latest sports, the latest stocks, the latest, all the things that are happening in the world, and I'm pretty proficient in all the sports, news, weather. You tell me, I have plenty of time these days because no customers are coming in. I'm sitting on my phone and spending my time. He says, that's exactly the difference. When your father was in the store, the evil inclination didn't want him to study Torah. So he kept on sending him customers so he shouldn't study any Torah. But you, the evil inclination says, everything's a fine, the sports, the news. As long as he's not studying Torah, what does he need customers for? If you study Torah, then customers will come in and disturb you. The same idea is also when we talk about the giving of the Torah that we'll be celebrating this Friday and Shabbos. There's two very famous questions that are asked concerning the giving of the Torah. Number one is, why did God pick the location that he did? In the desert. You know, many people pay thousands and millions of dollars just for views. This person wants an ocean view, a city view, a city landscape, all different kinds of views, and people get into fights and courts about what can it be a view. You get the penthouse and a building because of the views. Where does God pick a desert view? Desert views, no, no big great shakes, nothing there. No oil, no water. What did he, you know, we know location, location, locations, everything. It seems like when God chose to give the Torah, location wasn't a priority. Why did God choose to give the Jewish people the Torah in the desert? If he was so interested in giving it to them, give it to them by the Red Sea. You could have that beautiful, uh, maybe, background of a sea view. Wait for them to come into the land of Israel. There's beautiful landscapes and views that he could have gave in the land of Israel. Why in the desert did God have to give him the Torah? And in fact, I'm not the first person to ask this question. The Medrash, over 2,000 years ago, asked the same question. Why was God so interested in giving this, this Torah specifically in Mount, in Mount Sinai, which is in the Sinai Desert? You may say, well, you know, big deal. God doesn't care about views. But the problem is if you look a little deeper into the Medrash, into the commentaries, you'll see that when God gave the Jewish people the Torah, he looked a lot to make it look very nice. For example, he hired a designer, and you can see that the beautiful mountain became full of flowers and grass, and there was thunder, there was lightning, there was sound effects. It wasn't just a simple mountain. You thought God is into simplicity, and maybe that's why he did it in the desert. He wanted no oil, no water, no nothing. No. God made flowers, grass, thunder, lightning. In fact, there's a custom that many synagogues have that they bring flowers and trees into the synagogue to the festival of Shavuos to remind you of how it was at the time when the Torah was given and they decorate the whole bima with a beautiful ornate canopy with multiple flowers and everything else in honor of Shavuos. Because of what God did. So if God was interested in the view and wanted the beautiful, so to speak, surroundings and sound effect and view effect, he could have found a better place to do it. Another thing, so the Medrash says, what's the reason why God gave it in the desert? The Medrash answers, because God wanted to give it in a public place, in a place where nobody can claim that it's theirs, in a place where it doesn't cost money to get it either. And therefore God gave it to them in the desert, meaning once the people would come into the land of Israel, every single parcel of the land of Israel was given to a specific tribe. One can then argue, hey, the Torah was given only in that tribe, so therefore I don't have to study Torah. Over here God is telling every single person that every single person has a relationship with the Torah. 
Not only that, it doesn't cost you a dime. You can study Torah for free at any time, anywhere, any shape, any person has the right, the ability and obligation and has a relationship with the Torah. There is no person who can claim the Torah is not for me. That's number one. Then we have a second question. Second question takes us to the Talmud. The Talmud talks about a fellow by the name of Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef was one of the greatest scholars of the Talmud. He was the head of the yeshiva of Pumpadisa, the Talmud that was in Babylonia. There were different yeshivas in, in, in Babylonia. There was Surah, Narda, Pumpadisa. Pumpadisa was one of them, and he was considered one of the greatest rabbis of the Talmud. He was the teacher of Abai and Rava, who we find throughout the Talmud have a lot of debates and a lot of explanations, which most of the Talmud we know today are from the students of Abai and Rava. He was their teacher. Not only that, the Talmud refers to this fellow Rabbi Yosef as Sinai, as a sharp mind, meaning he had a, if you want to call it today, as a photographic memory. He knew every single Mishnah, every single discussion that was in the Talmud and the previous generations, you were able to depend on him that he knew it accurately and he was able to transmit. Because remember then everything was orally, there was nothing actually written. So he was one of the people who was part of the transmission of the Torah, that he gave it to Abayi and Rav, who was able to transmit it to their students. But because of his phenomenal memory, it was unbelievable that they would never... Um, contradict what he said, so to speak, because of his phenomenal memory. He himself didn't want to be appointed to the leader of the yeshiva because he saw that he would not last for many years. So actually his student Rab, or his colleague Rabbah was first the leader of the yeshiva for 20 years. In the last two years, Rabbi Yosef was a leader for two and a half years. And Rabbi Yosef, every single Shavuos would make a festival, a big party, a big celebration. And he said the following, in Aramaic, he said, Ilav ha if not this for this day, the Kagorim that caused it, Kama Yosef Ika If not for this day, there will be plenty Yosefs in the, in the marketplace. Meaning, you go outside, what am I different than anybody else? If not for the day of Shavuos, what do I, am I different than anybody else? Because of the day of Shavuos, that's what makes me a scholar. What does it mean, because of the day of Shavuos? So the commentaries explain. That was being that the Torah was given on Shavuot. Now he studied Torah because he studied Torah. Now the Torah is what made him great. And because of that, he is different than all the different Yosefs in the marketplace. But the obvious question that many commentaries ask, it's not Shavuot that made him brilliant. It's the years that he studied Torah. It's like a person saying, it's like a doctor saying, if not for the day that I graduated, I wouldn't be a doctor. The day that you graduate is basically a formality. It's the four years of medical school and the four years of residency and then the years of fellowship that you practiced and you finally got that intuition to be able to know that you're a doctor. But if I come along and say, oh, if not for my graduation, I wouldn't be a doctor. I'll look at you like a fool. What do you mean? Rabbi Yossi comes along and says, if not for Shavuos, I wouldn't be a scholar. What do you mean if not for Shavuos, you wouldn't be a scholar? Shavuos, we receive the Torah. If you wouldn't have studied the Torah, you wouldn't be a scholar. What does it mean the day of Shavuos made you a scholar? Even though the commentaries explain it means the study of Torah, but that's not the words he said. So why is it that Rabbi Yosef, it dwells on the fact of the day of Shavuos is what made him great. Great Hasidic masters of the previous generations have discussed this and elaborated and talk about this idea as well as the Rebbe brings it about and discusses this as well and takes it even to a deeper question. 
Why does Rabbi Yossi come along and say, if not for the Torah that was given on the festival of Shuas, I wouldn't be a scholar? We know, and we discussed this many times previously, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all studied Torah as well. So it wasn't Shavuos that all of a sudden came with the Torah. As we mentioned many times, Shavuos affected the fusion of physical and spiritual, as we'll get to in a moment. But it was this Torah study that Rabbi Yosef studied. He could have studied Torah, been like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even without Shavuos. If the whole advantage of Rabbi Yosef is that he studied Torah, Torah you could have studied without Shavuos. The Torah was around even before Shavuos. The fact that it was given to the Jewish people and made as a bond, as an eternal connection happened because of Shavuos. But his actual studying Torah was also because of Shavuos. So if before the giving of the Torah people studied Torah as well, why does Rabbi Yosef come along and say, if not for this day, I would be like anybody else? So we'll start with a little of a commentary which may be seemingly a little out of the box. And he says as follows, Who is Rabbi Yosef? Rabbi Yosef was an interesting individual. Throughout his life, he traveled a lot, even though he was a great scholar. He was one of the greatest scholars, even greater than Rabbi Bar Nachmeni, who was the leader of his time. He was an individual who was probably thorough in every aspect of the Torah. But tragic event happened to the end of his life. And at the end of his life, he forgot everything he learned. You want to call it dementia, Alzheimer's, probably that's what they would label it today. But whatever it may be, you want to call him, he was just like every other Yosef in the market. The Torah was no longer at the tips of his fingers or that he was able to repeat it verbatim. He didn't have that memory, that sharpness that he had all of his life. At the end of his life, he was like, if you want to call it a broken vessel, with no longer any memory. And over here, the Talmud comes along, Rabbi Yosef, and he says, Rabbi Yosef over here is telling us an unbelievable idea. He says, this day of Shavuos is a day that empowered me even after I forgot what I learned. And he explained as follows. He says, if you look at the day when the Torah was given, a very interesting thing, we celebrate Shavuos. Moses came down on Mount Sinai, God came on Mount Sinai, gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments. The thunder, the lightning, and all the beautiful effects that happened. But we forget what happened 40 days later. These same Ten Commandments that were given to the Jewish people with all the fanfare, boom, destroyed, knocked to the ground and crushed because of the Jewish people sitting with the golden calf. It only took 120 days later when the Jewish people were by Yom Kippur when Moses came on the mountain the second time and he brought down the tablets and that's what we actually study from. That's what was actually given to the people. Why are we sitting celebrating Shavuos if that's not what stayed with the Jewish people? What does Rabbi Yosef come along and say? What was in the ark? In the ark there were the broken tablets and the complete tablets. That means just because you studied and even though you may have forgotten something, even though at the end of his life I'm not longer at that strength that I had when I was. But the Torah and the mitzvahs that you do always are part of you. And therefore, Rabbi Yosef used to celebrate Shavua specifically because he says, once holy, I'm always holy. Even though right now you may look at me and you may say, I don't have that ability. I don't have that beauty. I'm not able to give you from the fountain of Torah that I was able to give you all that time. But because I once was able to, because I was so full, thoroughly encroached and entrenched with the Torah, that never left me. 
That always stays with me. There's a story told about the Rebbe Marash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe. The fourth Chabad Rebbe, when he was, uh, before he was Rebbe, he was very undercover, so to speak. He didn't let people know that he was a scholar or a catalyst of any sort. He was the youngest son of the Tzemach Tadik, had seven sons. He was the youngest, so he made himself like a nobody to the extent that he took a job like a businessman and went to travel around. To even There's a story even told once that once somebody needed a question and a deep discourse, so they went to ask his father, the Tzemach Tzedek, he said, go ask my youngest son. He said, the youngest son? He's a businessman. How would you know? Until he, he said, you better not tell my secret. So the bottom line is, so once the fourth Chabad Rebbe was traveling around, and he ended up in the city of Belz, to the great Belzer Rebbe, the Sar Shalom of Belz was there. And he was amongst all the regular people that were there. He didn't look for any uh, honor or respect. He sat in the back of the shul like everybody else. The Belzer Rebbe was blind. He wasn't able to see and when he walked into the shul, he walked with two assistants. When he comes into the shul, all of a sudden, instead of going to his regular spot, he's diverting, he's walking, and he's looking for something. And they asked him, what are you looking for? What's going on? He says, I'm looking, I smell, I see that there's somebody here that's of great stature. He comes over to the Rebbe Marash, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, who's dressed like a regular businessman. And they ask him, who is this? Well, he asks his people that are with, who is this guy? They said, this guy is a regular businessman that comes from time to time, travels around. And he says, no, 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 no. This is not a businessman that does business. This is a businessman that his business is Torah. That means he was able to test sense a person who's saturated with Torah, changes the entire person, the entire physique of the individual. His human body becomes a different individual. They say the same story in 1920s. The Rebbe was living in Berlin. And not 1920s, I'm sorry, 1930s. The Rebbe was living in Berlin. He was going to university, the Berlin University. And while the Rebbe was there, there was a, a, the, also another one of the Bells the Rebbe's came from Aaron Rokeach was in Bells, it was in, came to visit Berlin. And all the people went to visit him and so on. And he used to shake everybody's hand after davening. So the Rebbe went over to shake his hand. And he used to have his glove on when he shook everybody's hand. When the Rebbe came by, the Rebbe didn't look like the Rebbe wore a gray suit, also dressed like modern, nobody should discover who he was. He took off his glove and shook his hand. And then afterwards he asked the people, who was that fellow? So he said, he is the Lubavitch Rebbe, which is the previous Rebbe's son-in-law. He says, I felt his hand, it felt warm. That means a person who is saturated with Torah, where Torah defines the individual who they are. They don't just even when they're not studying Torah, so to speak, their body, their physical body, is so entrenched in the study of Torah that it changes the person who they are. That's where Rabbi Yosef is coming along. Rabbi Yosef says, if not this day, if not for the day of Shavuos, even though the first tablets were broken, but the first tablets were still holy. They still went into the ark. A person who studies Torah, even if he may have forgotten it for whatever reason he may be, but the Torah study that he studied, stays within the holiness of the person, stays within the person, regardless of what happens to him in life. But Rabbi Yosef was telling us even a deeper message. Not only a message that the Torah stays with you no matter what happens, but even more so. Rabbi Yosef is revealing to us and telling us how he got to the stage that he was at. How he actually made it to the level of being the great scholar who he was. How did he become a person who was so thoroughly knowledgeable in every aspect of the Torah? How was it that he was an person who was able to teach so many students and teach them the way of Hashem? 
and get them to understand and appreciate these details. And over here, Rabbi Yosef comes along and says, in his three words, he says as follows, if not for this day. What does it mean, if not for this day? Rabbi Yosef came along and said, every single day is not just a regular day. Every day I would say, if not this day, who am I? Every single day I saw the importance of the day. It wasn't just, excuse me, the day of Shavuos. It wasn't just the day of a regular day, but every single day he said, what does this day have for me? How am I going to make this day important? How am I going to make this day special? How am I going to study Torah to my best of ability today? And if I haven't conquered and recognized the importance of this day, I will be like anybody else. Rabbi Yosef comes along and says the greatness of an individual is that he recognizes the importance of the day. He recognizes how every single day has a value, how every single day and every single moment is something which God gives you a gift only once. Recognizing and understanding and appreciating how every single moment is important. How do we see this? You know, right when you're born, when you're in your mother's womb, you study the entire Torah. The moment you're born, an angel comes along, gives you a little flick and says, that's it, you forgot the entire Torah. And from then on, you have to study the Torah again and again and again until it finally becomes part of you. Why then do we study the Torah the first, for the, what was the point of studying it for nine months in the mother's womb if you're going to forget it anyway? Because the Torah is so divine, it's impossible for a person to understand it and appreciate it on their own or to connect with it. We are finite, selfish human beings, materialistic beings. How do we connect to something which is so refined and so spiritual and infinite? It is because we already studied it once and all we're doing now is recalling what we already learned. But the only way you can recall it is if you continuously study it. And because of that, every moment that we waste, every moment that we don't study, we're getting less and less recalling of what we originally studied. And the less and less we do. The more we learn, the more we're able to recognize and more to appreciate and every single day it's important that we can say today was a good day, but how am I going to make tomorrow even a better day? The Medrash tells us there's nothing lost, no, greatest, no greater loss like the loss of time. They used to say about a person, he used to, a famous Jew used to say, you know, time is the most, is even more important than money. He says, why? Everything you buy in the world how does the price, how does the value, how do you value something, how do you make a valuation of something based on supply and demand? What's there something that there is no supply of? There's a, no, there's a very, there's no supply, you can't get it. Therefore, so there should be the most valuable thing, which is time. Because the minute you have right now, you can never get again. So that should be the most valuable thing you ever have. And there's a very famous, Rabbi Shmuel of Frankfurt used to say, a famous saying, a person worries about his money, about the loss of money, but doesn't worry about the loss of time. His money can't help him, and but his days, his time will never return. Where do we even see this in Jewish law? Even this has a practical uh, application, which is that if a person on Chol HaMoed, which is in the intermediate days between, uh, in any festival, between the holy days of the festival, tech, generally and technically a person shouldn't write or do things which are mundane or weekday activities. The only thing you're allowed to do during those intermediate days if it's something that will lost and you'll never be able to recoup again. So Jewish law states that let's say a fellow 
who is a scholar and he has an idea, a brilliant idea that he studied in Torah, he's allowed to write it down because if he doesn't write it down, he may forget it. And this is something which is considered a loss. So therefore, you're allowed to write it down. So you see that time, something which is considered a time, you can never, I mean, you can never make it back up, is considered a loss. Thirdly, we also find the Jewish law. Hillel says, learn. Don't say when I have time, I will learn because maybe you'll never have time. And that's the concept that the evil inclination will always find a way to be able to make you procrastinate and push it off and say, not today, do it tomorrow, do it tomorrow, don't worry, tomorrow I'm going to do exercise and while I do the exercise I'm going to be able to learn. You know, that same evil inclination that's keeping you, that gives you the, the concept of procrastination, that's the greatest form of the evil inclination trying to get us away from what we should be doing and that recognizing that time is the most important asset on our side and the most valuable thing that we can have. And therefore it grabs, it tries to confuse us and try to make us the greatest tumult in our mind that we shouldn't be able to uh, do things during that time and be able to find other distractions, even whatever those distractions, maybe legitimate distractions, from utilizing our time appropriately. Utilizing our time, whether it's the study of Torah or being with our family, whatever that time may be, to be use it in a productive way. Therefore, we also find this that it's brought in different uh, Musr Sefarim and it's brought in different Hasidic books where it talks about that a person must utilize every single moment of exile because Moshiach might come any moment and when Moshiach will come, we're going to look back and say, why didn't I utilize my time appropriately? And therefore, there are certain uh, disturbances that a person may have in life and disturbances which are never going to stop. Disturbances as making a living and as old as you are, or as young as you are, you got to make a living. But still in all, when a person recognizes what he needs to do and what his priorities are to be able to set times for the study of Torah, and when a person sets times for the study of Torah, that will then help his making time for business as well. You know, if you look back in the time of the great scholars, uh, in, the, in Talmudic times, every single one of the Talmudic scholars did not make a living from studying Torah. Studying Torah was something that they did in their own time, and they worked. That means that because they had set them fixed times for study of Torah, they recognized the importance of the study of Torah. And going back to Rabbi Yosef's announcement, where Rabbi Yosef says, if not for this day, that means if I wouldn't make the day important, if I wouldn't cherish every single moment, I would, and I don't push things off, and I don't say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it the next day. I didn't wait and say, okay, when I have vacation, then I'll go study. Or when I have vacation, after I finish this uh, lunch break, then I'll go do it is because I utilized and I recognized the importance of time is what gave me the ability to be the great scholar that I was. And with this we see also the concept is when we talk about procrastination or in general being lazy is one of the greatest uh, issues that people struggle with and that's because a person who doesn't feel he has a responsibility, doesn't feel the obligation, the task. He does says, you know what? Eh, you know what? I'll do it then. If not for the last minute, nothing gets done. I'll just push it off, push it off, push it off, push it off. And one of the ways to overcome the fear is to be able to do it now and therefore live in the moment, get it done, and recognize what you're going to do today is going to have an everlasting effect. People that live in the moment live a fuller life, a more happier life, and a more accomplished life because they are making sure that every moment is uh, utilized for the best. It's not about procrastination. I can't make it up tomorrow. I need to make sure I do it today. Rabbi Yosef was such an individual who lived life that every single moment he had 
he knows I'll never be able to do it again. This minute that I have will never come back to me. And therefore, he looked every single moment to see what he can do at every single moment. With this, we also can understand, back to the original question, why was the Torah given in the desert? When we look at why the Torah was given in the desert, we can understand and basically see where was the first place that the Jewish people, as they finished their journey of 50 days, where were they? In the desert. So God says, you're ready for the Torah? Right now, we don't waste any time. Even if it means that I have to make a mountain with grass, flowers, thunder, lightning to be able to create the view, we're going to do it. Because right now we have to learn the importance of not procrastinating, not pushing anything off. Don't say by the time, well, you know what, the guy says, you know, when I retire and I make a good living and I'll have a good retirement pension fund, then I'll go to Kolol and sit and study every day. You know what's going to happen? You'll find an excuse then also not to be able to study. Over here, the Torah is telling us that every single one of us has an important reason and aspect to be able to study Torah every single moment. You have an opportunity, grab it, use it, don't push it off to tomorrow. They say an interesting anecdote. You know, uh, there's a custom, there's a big following around the world, thousands of people study, called Dafyomi. They learn a page of the Talmud every single day. And every single day they have a system that they go through, and after seven years they finish the entire Talmud. The founder of this uh, Dafyomi cycle was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Meir Shapiro. He was a very unique individual, an unbelievable orator, a great, brilliant scholar. He had a yeshiva called Chachmei Lublin. And he was the one that started this concept of the cycle of studying every single day a page of the Talmud. They ask, what was, where did he get that idea to be able to do it? So he grew up in a city called uh, Sacheva, which was in uh, Romania, northern Romania. And he was a very talented child, even as a young kid. And his parents realized that he was a talented child, and therefore they decided that they're going to get a teacher from a different city to be able to bring him and to tutor him that he should be able to advance in his studies beyond what they're learning in class. They hired this teacher. He was supposed to come Sunday. But what happened was, they're waiting for him to come. He sends a message. Sorry, he's not going to be able to make it. He's only going to come the next day. Mayor asked his mom, where's the teacher? I'm supposed to be learning. He says, sorry, I couldn't make it. He's only coming tomorrow. The next day, he's coming the next day. Next day, fine, the next day. And every single day was being pushed off. And she said, finally, he says, he told her to his mother, he says, every day is coming the next day, but what's going to be about today? He says, that moment, he recognized that every single day, he has to find something to make today important. And that's when it implanted in his mind an idea to make a person's life every single day purposeful, every single day useful. Find something in your life that you can do every single day that will make your day meaningful. And that's the way he brought about, this book gave him the idea, eventually that changed the landscape of Judaism forever, that today thousands upon thousands, just the last time they finished it, they took MetLife Stadium, Barclay Stadium, thousands of people study every single day a page of Talmud, bringing meaning into their day. And same idea what Mayor, was, what Mayor Shapiro was telling us, was saying every single person has needs something that they can bring into their day, not to delay it to another day, but to make that day purposeful and make that day an actual um, meaning and bring meaning into their life. On Shabbos we shared a story, and I shared it once before, about the soldier, about Pesach Tzvi Frank, where the Rebbe then we told over the story, which was, um, I said the story once before, so I'm not going to go into the details, but the bottom line was that there was a message that he wanted to tell his grandfather, and because he said, I'm going to go today and tell him, not wait until tomorrow, he was able to tell it to his grandfather before his grandfather passed, 
which the Rebbe responded to that saying, that's why I tell, some, I tell my Hasidim, when you got to do something, do it now. Don't procrastinate when it comes to doing something. So as we talk about the importance of every moment, let's take, a, take it a step further. Not only, is, not only the importance of every moment, but also dedicating every moment that we have to utilizing it for the study of Torah. Ethics of our fathers in chapter 3 says, a person who is up all night, or a person who walks alone in the way, or wastes his time, he is liable for his life. Same thing he can then continues to say, one who studies, but he forgets what he learned, it is also as liable for his life because he didn't review his studies and thereby making sure he doesn't forget it. If you look at this Mishnah, ethics of our fathers beyond the letter of the law, but it still sounds a little harsh. Okay, I wasted some time, but you know what the Talmud says? There are three sins that we're all guilty of every single day. One of them is not studying Torah. So how is it that a sin that every single person is guilty of, because we don't utilize every single moment to study Torah, that this is liable for our life? To take it even a step further, I studied, but I forgot what I learned, I'm still liable. I don't have such a memory like Rabbi Yosef. We can't all remember everything we learned. Okay, fine, I need to review. But why such strong terminology? And the Rebbe explains over here that actually it's not a punishment that you're liable with your life. In fact, it's explaining a reality, which means taking the example that Rabbi Akiva used to say. Rabbi Akiva was once asked by the Romans, why does he risk his life to study Torah? You know it's against the law. We catch you, we kill you. Why are you risking your life? Rabbi Akiva told him, he says, you know the story of the fox and the fish. He says, the fox comes to the fish and they're swimming around in the water. And he tells the water, you know, the fishermen are going to catch you. So why don't you come on shore to me? I'll protect you from the fishermen. To which the fish responded, you silly fox, you claim to be smart. You know, the moment we leave the water, we're no longer alive. Rabbi Akiva said the same thing as also. The Romans are saying, they'll protect us. Don't study Torah, we'll watch you. You don't realize the moment we don't study Torah, we don't have life anymore. The Torah is the life, is the sustenance of the Jewish people. Over here, the Rebbe explains with this and says, the Torah is the oxygen that gives the soul of the Jew the ability to, lie, to be alive. The, the Torah is the electric wires, the cords that gives us light, the ability to survive and to thrive. It's like telling a person who has a heart condition to climb Mount Everest. Or if you want to tell a person you're going to go and choke yourself, that's what it means by not studying Torah. It's not a punishment when you tell a person, if you have a heart disease, you can't climb Mount Everest. It's just a consequence. You're not able to do it. You're not going to survive. The same idea is also when we talk about a fish in water. It's not a consequence. We're not punishing the fish. You leave the water, you're going to die. It's the reality. The same idea is also the reality of the Jew, is that the Jew needs Torah to survive. A Jew can't survive without Torah. And therefore the Mishnah says, if you're going to say, I'm not going to, I'm walking in the street and I'm not studying Torah, you're liable for your death because since you can't survive without the study of Torah, so how are you going without the learning Torah? On the festival of Shavuos, King David passed away. The Talmud tells us something very unique about King David's passing. King David knew that he was going to pass away on Shabbos. And therefore, every single Shabbos, 
he would study Torah from the beginning of the end because he was connected with the life of Torah, as it says in the book of Deuteronomy, a new cleave to the book of life, and therefore the angel of death was not able to touch him. In fact, there's an interesting thing that Malav Malka, which is the meal that many people have after Shabbos, which is called escorting the queen of Shabbat, is called Sudas David Malka Mashicha, the Suda, the meal of King David. And some want to say, why is it called the meal of King David? Because every Saturday night, King David would celebrate, I survived another Shabbos, because he knew he was supposed to be dying on Shabbos. So what happened? The angel of death had to get him. But King David is learning. He can't disturb him. He can't take him if he's in the middle of learning. So what the angel of death did, went and climbed in a tree outside King David's window. King David wanted to tell the person who's climbing on the tree, you shouldn't be climbing on the tree on Shabbos. When he went outside to tell the person to climbing on the tree, happened on Shabbos. What did King David recognize? What did King David realize? Death wasn't a punishment to him. It was a consequence. You stopped learning Torah, it was part of his oxygen, part of his life. We've seen it with many different people around, great scholars, that their energy, their enjoyment, their life is the study of Torah. The mental Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe, when he was imprisoned right before his passing, he was imprisoned in, in, by the Tsarist Russia, but they were more relaxed on him in the place of Itepsk. And they saw he wasn't healthy. And the doctors went and everybody checked him out to see what would he need. And they, even the doctors came to realize that if he teaches and he says the words of Hasidism and he has a group of people to teach, that will make him healthier, that will make him better. And they allowed for that reason that every single Shabbos there was a group of people that would come in, that he would teach them, and that gave him life and that gave him his energy. The concept that we find that energy, our life, our sustenance is the words of Torah. So when we go back to Rabbi Yosef's comment and he says, if not for this day, what am I? The Torah is telling us, if not for Shavuos, the Talmud is teaching us. Rabbi Yosef is telling us, if not for this day, if you don't realize that every single day is important and needs to be infused with a study of Torah, with a mitzvah, you have to recognize that you have to make this day something special and important and unique. That means today study something you haven't studied yesterday. Today make your learning Torah. What are you going today make this day more important by the study of Torah? Pick something that every single day you will study. The daily study of the Chumash, the daily study of the Tanya, the daily study of Maimonides. There are so many different daily studies you can pick and you can be part of that you can make every single day unique and live with that study that you study that day. Let that be your energy for that day. There's a fascinating story the Talmud tells us about Hillel. As we mentioned earlier, the great scholars of the Talmud did not want to use uh, money of studying Torah, so they all had different jobs. Hillel was a pauper, didn't barely had any money, and he used to go work. And he took half of his money that he earned, and he would give it to be able to get into the synagogue, because it was an entrance fee to get into the synagogue, he had to pay admission, to listen and study from the great scholars of Shemai and Aftalion. One time, Hillel didn't make enough money, and he took in all the money that he earned, and he went and he gave that, instead of going to buy bread and food for Friday night meal, he gave that to be able to get into the synagogue to get to hear and study from Shmai and Aftalian. It was one Friday night that he didn't have any money to be able to get in before Shabbat to go into the synagogue. They wouldn't let him in. So what he did was he climbed to the roof, put his ear by the skylight, and he learned, listened while he was listening to the words of Shmai and Aftalian to be able to study. It got cold and the snow starts falling and he's still so engrossed in the class that he didn't realize that the snow covered him until the next morning they came into the synagogue and they realized it's a little dark in here. Where's the light from? The skylight is not coming in. 
and they looked up and they saw an image of an individual in the skylight. They ran up and they cleared the snow and they realized it was Hillel and from then on he was allowed to enter into the synagogue without a fee. But the question begs a few questions here. First of all, why was he allowed to give half of his income to study Torah? We know that according to Jewish law, one is not supposed to splurge too much to charity. You have to, if you don't have money to live on, that's your first priority. You're not supposed to give it away unless you have enough to survive. You can give as much as you want, but you have to have enough money for yourself to survive. Secondly, why did Hillel, how was he allowed to even go on the roof and put himself in danger to be able to listen to the words of Torah? And thirdly, on Shabbat, they said, if this is Hillel, then we can clear the snow. Somebody else said, wouldn't clear the snow. And the commentaries explain that because Hillel, Torah was his life. So when he spent half of his income on the study of Torah, it was like you spending half of your income to buy bread. For him to study Torah, that was his life. So therefore, it wasn't like an explurging to the study of Torah. That was sustenance for him. And therefore, he wasn't risking his life. That was his life when he went up to the attic because that's the only way he can survive. And for that reason, they said, if only Hillel, because on Shabbat we have to save a person's life, and his life is Torah, then this is a person who didn't endanger himself. Because if he endangered himself, the question is, should we save him? He put himself in that problem. Are we allowed to save him? But because he wasn't endangering himself, this was who his life was. We were allowed to save him, we had to help him. As we mentioned in the beginning, as we are now right at the eve of the giving of the Torah. It is the time where we reflect on our relationship that we have with the Torah. It is this time that the festival of Shavuos gives us the impetus and the ability that we should resolve in our study of Torah to be able to make resolutions to increase in our study of Torah, not just leave it for once a week, once a millennium, or once a year, but to every single day take a part of Torah that we can learn and that should become part of our day, infuse us with spirituality, and we should live with it. And by this way, just like Rabbi Yosef said, if not for this day, what, was, what am I different than anybody else? Every single day we should be able to say, how am I different than everybody else?